welcome back to the Respublica Politics Podcast. I'm Ida Michelle, your host, joined by the wonderful Temilade Adeyinka, co-founder and editor-in-chief of the Nigeria-based magazine FemMag, the editorial verdict of Fem Africa. Today, we'll discuss how media and publication ownership is gendered, and we'll also go into how the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced Yauf culture in Nigeria. So before we get started, I would like to ask our guests to introduce ourselves briefly. Hi, everyone. My name is Timilade Adeyinka. Um, I am the editor-in-chief and co-founder of FemMag. I'm 25 years old and I graduated three years ago from the University of Toronto. I did a double major in African studies and English and a minor in philosophy. So I'm very excited to be on the podcast. Since you're the co-founder and editor-in-chief of FemMag, I would also like to ask you to tell us a little bit more about FemMag and yeah, what your mission as a magazine is. Fantastic. So FemMag is a media publication. We launched last year in the middle of COVID-19 actually. And we are the editorial vertical of Femme Africa. So Femme Africa is a platform for women in the creative industry in Nigeria. Femme Africa has done numerous showcases that has only had like female um, bands and female artists with like a, like a strictly female lineup. So my co-founder Ayomide Dokumu approached me and said that she was really thinking about expanding and growing Femme Africa. And she thought that it'd be really good for us for, for Femme Africa to have a publication. So that's how Femme Africa was born. We launched last July um, and it's been amazing ever since because we started to grow a very tapped in community of women who just are curious and want to know more about the world that surrounds them. So that's exactly what Femme Africa is about. Femme Africa is about creating a space where content can drive conversation and that conversation is so that we can foster a community of curious women who just want to know more and want to see themselves represented and reflected in media. Amazing. So in relation to this, since you're a female-owned publication, could you also tell us a little bit more about uh, media and publication ownership in Nigeria? Is this domain gendered and how is it to work together as a female-owned publication at FemMag? And yeah. If I'm being very honest, like we're still, because we've only been around for a year, we're still figuring out the, in, like figuring out the industry as a whole. But we've learned so much um, in our short time that we've existed and been around. I think one of the things that we noticed and why FemMag FemMag exists is because we don't feel like there's a publication that speaks to Nigerian women in a way that we feel like Nigerian women want to be spoken to. Um, I think that there's this there's this assumption that um, women can't have content that crosses across different content categories, um, that women don't want to read more, that women don't want to be engaged, that and all of these other stuff and now we just don't think that is true first of all um my a lot of my team members and i we are avid readers and we also just know how we consume media media is very very important also um going beyond just trying to see yourself reflected and um represented but media is important because it gives a voice to you as an individual you are seeing and not only are you seeing yourself but you're hearing stories that 
are about women that don't even look like you, don't even think like you, but have as much in the game as you do. And I think it's important also that like as that mag that we are trying as much as possible to reflect all types of stories, um, that women are not just one like multi, like um one-minded and one track and have one identity, but women are multifaceted. And so that for us is one of the key things that we just don't feel like that exists currently. So one day we can be talking about Buhari's Twitter ban and the next day we can be curating a playlist for you about, you know, it's, it, we have a playlist and it's called Hot Dong Summer and it's about music to just have fun to when you're on a yacht or enjoying yourself. And then in the next day we can be talking about cleansers for oily skin. And then the next day we can be talking about what it's like to be queer and be kicked out of your home. All these different stories are important because it's showing that, oh, look, these things are existing and you need to pay attention to them. So that's the first part. And then also working at FemMag and with the team that we have is so important because I've only actually worked for the most part with women, which I think is really interesting. When people apply to work at FemMag or do stuff with us, they're always commenting on how cool it must be to work with only women. And I completely agree. Like, it's amazing because we all have the same passion for really reshaping the media industry in Nigeria. So all of us, from my management team, to the writers, to social media managers, to people who even contribute and send us pitches. We are so, so, so particular in making sure that we are not just pushing forward one type of story, but we're making sure that we're creating a space where um, women can come and share their voices, they can share their thoughts, they can articulate it, they can write it. Um, and that for us is what we're just trying to do is that we're also trying to show society at large that look women's voices are important and you're going to pay attention to what we have to say um and yeah that's what it that's what it's like so far um but there are other things that we've been struggling with and just trying to figure out major things are like funding trying to um figure out how to fund a publication is not easy at all um there are a lot of different things and different avenues that you can do an approach but also trying to scale trying to grow that takes money that takes effort and I think also for the most part trying to get people to take us seriously I think that during last year during the NSAS peaceful protests I think that that was the first time that and we were only around for such a short period of time but and we are such a tiny team at that time I think we we're only like four um and we only had one writer at the time but we really really showed how like showed I feel anyway the world that we are a publication that means business we got women to contribute from all over the world we got people to photograph different different peaceful protests that were happening actually and it was it was the first time that I think that we were really showing ourselves like look women are in charge of this publication and we are going to cover NSARS we're going to talk about things that other people are not really talking about we spoke about how gendered violence also contributes to um, um, police violence. We talk. We talked about queerness and how that also contributes. We talked. We spoke about the women who are at the forefront of the NSAS protest. So we are bringing a fresh perspective to media. We're bringing a fresh perspective to storytelling. So I think that that's also been really interesting to see um, how we're pushing ourselves and we're trying to show the industry that look you should be paying attention to us. Like we're a small team now, but we're going to keep growing and getting better. And our community of tapped in women, curious women, dedicated women are just proof that we're doing something right. And it's only just a matter of time before we 
you know, really, really blow up and continue to grow. Yes, I definitely agree. And um, I also believe that women are much more multidimensional than they are portrayed in the media. And Mm -hmm. in relation to that, I also believe it's like highly important that women are the ones who also shape the media themselves, because I do think looking back in history, um, often women have been portrayed by by men and Mm -hmm. um, from the male point of view and not women shaping that. In relation to that, I also wanted to ask you, do you believe that it's harder to get taken seriously as a female-owned publication or have you not experienced any struggles with that? I think that we've been lucky that we haven't experienced any direct um, direct um, effects of that, but I think that it's still there because there's this bias that happens when it's like, oh, first of all, our name is FemMag. So I think that even from the name, you already have an idea that this is something that is very women-centered and has to do with women. And I think that society doesn't like things that censor women or censor the voices of women. So there's a tendency to dismiss what we have to say even before you started to give the content a read. And I actually do invite men and I do think that men should read the content because at the end of the day, like it's not, it's not exclusively for women. This is a space that is prioritizing the needs of women and the voices of women but I don't think that men shouldn't that men shouldn't be able to read our content and see what we what we have to say because chances are they they haven't really seen it from our own perspective um so we there's even an article that we had about the orgasm gap and it did so well and I thought that a lot of people knew some of these things were happening but seeing some of the statistics seeing some of the figures and seeing women being the ones to speak about local there is a gap between how much how many times women are having orgasms and there's a reason why it goes deeper than um the actual mechanics of actually getting one but then it also has to do with how women don't prioritize our own self-pleasure and I think that when we're hitting these sorts of stories and driving these stories home it speaks to the whole thing like it's not just about sex like it goes beyond that it goes to how we're being socialized so I do think that the way we're socialized and society has socialized both men and women is that we just tend to dismiss things that are that have to do with women as frivolous as not serious as not rigorous as not important and I think that it's just you know bs um I think that the work that we are doing is very important and it's very well written and just looking at the women who respond to us, send us emails, want to work with us or collaborate with us, it's clear that this space is needed. And I think that if society respected the fact, respected that fact that, you know, women do have something to say and instead of speaking over us, just take a beat sometimes and listen, uh, then you would see that, okay, you, you, you can learn actually and you can see that okay this is this this is this and what I thought I knew I actually didn't know um so yeah I think that it's more subtle than than very like explicit of like oh you don't know what you're saying but I think that we definitely get a bit of like mansplaining you know a lot of like you know patronizing comments here and there but we're not really too bothered about it because we know what we're here to do Yeah, I think that's really great. And I can see how um, that sometimes happens with mansplaining, but it's amazing that it's not that much of an issue. But I think that's also related to how men usually mostly learn about men's stories and like 
women, obviously, too. I mean, I personally, I grew up in Germany. And I remember in high school, in history, of course, you only ever learn about men. Women mm -hmm. are out of the picture, or if so, they're only the wife of a king or something like that. Or even in my German language class, we only read literature <laughs> written by men. And Ooh. I think it only happened like one or two times that we had female authors. And then mm -hmm. my German teacher um, also went on to say, yeah, but they're actually really bad we're just reading them because we have to so I mm -hmm. think yeah I also grew up having um, not having a lot of like women's voices educationally around me and mm -hmm. of course like everyone else um, I was socialized with too and then I found it very interesting when you talked about the orgasm gap and I think it's amazing that you mm -hmm. wrote an article about that that did so well growing up That also was and still is an issue um, amongst my friends. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's very much related to how also in high school, um, there was a lack of such sex education, especially yes. about female pleasure. And mm -hmm. also how people are socialized, as you said, it's all related to that. And how it's not very common for females to talk about their sexual pleasure. I definitely believe that your role in shaping this discourse is very important. But um, why I was explaining all of this is that I think men are so used to, to only hearing narratives from a male perspective, which mm -hmm. also makes them less likely to listen to women's stories and then to women's publications because they feel yeah. like, oh, that's something weird, you know, that's something out yes. of the ordinary. And why yeah. would I go out of my way <laughs> to read something mm -hmm. that women have written? Yeah, and I find that very interesting that although it's like two very different countries, in this regard, mm -hmm. there's a quite a similar experience. And I think just to even go off what you've said is that because men are usually the default, so they are the default when it comes to research about medical research, which then affects what kind of treatments women have and what sorts of issues are, are, are prioritized. Men are the default in storytelling. Men are the default in media. Men are just the default. It's weird and it's strange when it's like, okay, actually, look, There are women who are also making music. There are women who are also producing, women who are also writing, women who are also doing all these different things. That So your story as a man is not just the default. And I just obviously I blame society at large for this sort of co contributing to that, which is why we make it such a point to read female books, not because... Um, I don't read um, books written by men or I don't listen to music um, written by men or sang by men. But because just for too long, men have been the default and our work as at FemMag and also Fem Africa is to show that men are not the default. There's a whole other world, believe it or not, where women are doing things and our work and our role is to put those women on, to point our community towards them and to also show that, look, There's nothing wrong with consuming women-created stuff or women or arts or arts created by women. Like it doesn't make you. I think unserious is the word I keep coming back to because I just think that they just we just don't take the craft that women put in seriously, and it has nothing to do with skill. It has nothing to do with effort. It's just this whole bias that jumps out so quickly, um, and it affects you know even when like streaming numbers, for example, how women are the ones that are streamed so much more less than men. And, and, and I don't think that it's just because, you know, 
it's a numbers thing. Obviously, there's, there, there might be more male artists out there, but then it's also just this bias that jumps out as well. Even artists, visual artists, how many visual artists that are female get their own solo shows? And that affects so many things. I think that even how we look at as an artist, when we think of an artist, like we just automatically think of someone as a man. When we think of a professor, we think automatically someone as a man. And so we're just trying to uncover unpack all of that sort of thing and be like no this is a problem and we cannot just go on pretending and acting that it's okay for men to be the default exactly i totally agree with that and i really think it's amazing that femmag and you are trying to shine a light on these topics and make moment move more into the spotlight because it really is so relevant and yeah moving on from that what do you believe is important when trying to cater to a female audience in the 21st century mentioned it before being more multidimensional do you think Mm -hmm. that is the main point to get women's attention and to really cater to their needs Mm -hmm. i think that if i'm being very honest we are still learning how um women want to be spoken to in the sense that it's a very broad it's a very broad stroke right in the sense that women like different things and we don't want to at any point speak for any woman so that's one of our key things at Femmag is that we always talk about like in our editorial meetings is that we're never telling women what to do or what the right way is to live their life or shaming anyone or guilt tripping anyone I think that for us is the first thing that when it comes to like even just trying to figure that out that we're very very sure that women don't like to be told what to do because I think it's very patronizing and I think it feeds into this very harmful narrative that what you're doing is not enough. Our main um, goal at FemMag is that we're also trying to figure it out at the same time, but then we're taking our community alongside with us, but making sure that we're opening up conversations. So we have this thing that we always talk about as all the three C's, content, community, and conversation. So if we're never, if we're not hitting the, like, if we're not hitting all three, we are, we already realize that we're not speaking to women in the way that we feel really drives from our point. The content is amazing, but the content is nothing if it's not driving the conversation and pushing the conversation forward and opening up that conversation with our community. That's the reason why we call them our community and not audience. Do you know what I mean? Because audience has this sort of there's this sort of notion and visual that comes to my head whenever I think of an audience, like we're speaking at people who maybe cannot cannot have the tools or cannot are not able to speak back towards us. And we don't want that at all. So that's why we're saying community conversation and content. The conversation is very, very important. And we've realized that when we speak up about things and when we discuss things, things that maybe we've only had discussed in our head and think, oh my God, am I crazy for thinking this? Am I weird for feeling this? Like, I'm not seeing it anywhere. No one is speaking about it. I'm not reading it anywhere. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm all these different things. But then when you see other women piping up and being like, yeah, me too. Like, this actually happened to me. Or yeah, I actually feel like this. Or actually, I don't agree with this because X, Y, and Z. It's opening up a community of women who are just at the end of the day curious about how do they want to live their lives? How do they want to shape their lives? And I think that that's one thing that I can say we've hacked. We're still in the process of trying to figure out, okay, what kind of content do women really resonate to? And also there's not just one generic woman, right? There are different um, 
women that we've sort of like put in mind when we're when we're speaking but we haven't really we're not really into the game or of like trying to build an ideal woman I think that for us the content just has to be authentic it has to drive conversation and then it has to foster community anything else we're not really thinking about it too deeply because we just feel like those those sorts of things resonate more with women like content conversation and community and that's what we're trying to do I really love that approach and I think it perfectly shows how magazines have to evolve from being the thing from the top that really caters to an audience as you said Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's like much better that you have this community-based approach because I do believe that at the end of the day media should be made from women for women and I think you're diverse um, approach to that to having multiple to have to having a very diverse idea of women that is very multidimensional really is amazing and um, yeah I just think that's great and moving on from this and moving to our next topic I wanted to ask you how over the course of the pandemic has the Nigerian youth influenced the narrative around the COVID pandemic? I think that the way COVID was received in Nigeria was very interesting in a way that because we, so we went into a lockdown last year and we were forced to be at home. There was like a good period of time where we couldn't leave our houses. And I think that it was at that time that we really saw the power of social media. um, And we saw people just connecting and speaking and passing time you know through challenges twitter people were joining all these different apps and just passing time by um and i think that it just showed us that as youth and as young people that the internet has played a very very instrumental role in shaping our identity but also giving us a voice especially in a country like nigeria where we haven't really felt that our voice has been heard social media has provided a platform and a space where for the most part we can voice our thoughts we can gather around and talk about like why this policy is weird and why this policy doesn't serve us or what is the Nigerian government's um, uh, response to COVID and really have all these conversations that I don't think we would have been able to have without having social media and having the internet so I think that that really showed us the power of the internet and I think that even going further the power of the internet was even showed more, demonstrating even more during NSAS, because NSAS also happened during COVID-19 as well. And it was just so interesting seeing how we all just gathered and galvanized and created new systems, created communities, responded in a way that our government just could never, ever even think of doing. And if it was that people needed funding for protests people were gathering that and they were all doing this on the internet and it was interesting because it allowed it to have a very not centralized but it allowed you know protests that were happening in Abuja for example you could play a part in that in Lagos right now you didn't have to be there in Abuja Uh, so I think that that was really important really interesting it also showed that as Nigerian youth like we are very 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 entrepreneurial like just going even um, moving past NSAS for a bit, people started businesses during that time and they were just responding to what people needed. If there was like cocktails that people wanted, 
if it was shops, if it, it was clothing brands, if it was makeup, if it was skincare, if it was food, anything that we just saw a lot of people just like being like, okay, you know what, what can I do during this time? And they were doing all these different things. But I think the main, main takeaway for me anyway has just been how instrumental the internet has been for us, especially in a country like Nigeria where the government just lies a lot and doesn't take youth seriously, doesn't doesn't value youth voices very seriously and very much. Um, and I think that they, they felt very threatened because the, the power of social media really, really jumped out during NSARS. And it was this very, very, it was very sad, but was also very, very empowering moment to just see how fed up we were um, as young people. And I think that that's even why the Twitter ban was so, so the recent Twitter ban this year was so, so jarring for a lot of us because it just felt like they were just silencing a huge platform, a huge platform that we use and also that businesses survive and thrive on. And it definitely did feel, not didn't feel like it was a very huge violation on our freedom to speak and articulate ourselves. And I'm just proud of young Nigerian um, people who day by day just show up um, and speak out and say what they need to say because it's not easy. This country is so frustrating and I'm very, very proud to be a young Nigerian woman during this time. Yeah, I also really believe the pandemic just globally showed how important the internet is as a platform to connect and also mm -hmm. as a platform to empower no matter how many downsides it might have. But in mm -hmm. relation to that, you mentioned the Twitter ban in Nigeria. Could you please tell us a little bit more about that? So um, a couple of months ago, so I, I don't want to go into like all the details, but the are we got Twitter got banned by the Nigerian government because they were upset that a tweet that our president had put out was basically violated the Twitter um, code of conduct and they took it down. And the Nigerian government responded to that by you know going on this huge rant about how Twitter was interfering in Nigeria, it was a threat to Nigeria's democracy, and they're going to ban Twitter. Um, and I think that so and it's still banned right now. Like so, we have to use VPNs to access Twitter. And I think that the the Nigerian government just didn't even really think it through. And I think what was even really interesting was the quickness that they banned Twitter. We didn't even know that the Nigerian government could move that quick when it comes to making decisions and, and making sort of these sorts of policies and these rash decisions. Because when it comes to fixing roads or fixing our healthcare system or improving our educational system, they drag their feet and they behave as if these are things that need very, very long, thoughtful um, processes that end up, not, nothing ends up really happening. But with a Twitter ban, they, make, they put that into effect so quickly and haven't looked back since. There have been talks and some reports about how they are now in the process of trying to figure out a way to, I guess, bring Twitter back, but we haven't really heard anything at the moment. But the Twitter ban has really affected so many Nigerian businesses. It has affected even just the way that people communicate. And I just think that it's just a poor, poor demonstration of what the government prioritizes at this time. And like I said, that it is a form of silencing. And that is very scary to me personally that that that, that this is currently our reality, that Twitter is banned and it's it is a form of silencing our voices. 
Yes, I definitely agree. I think that really is horrible. And I do believe Twitter also um, in Germany or in the US or in the UK or also in India. Um, I also heard that recently Twitter India had quite some problems with the Indian government. I do think it's such an important platform, especially for politics, because it works very differently from Instagram, which I think is much more like photo based and Twitter goes more into content. And mm -hmm. considering that you mentioned that it's also very important for businesses, I also definitely think that's um, a horrible development. And I truly hope something will change about that again, because I do believe that to a certain extent is an attack on freedom of speech in a way, although it's definitely more complicated. And I also think that, I even think that, like you just said, communication too is such a big thing about Twitter. Like with what's going on now with COVID, like where are people getting their information from? Twitter was such a good platform for exactly. all of these government agencies where they used to use Twitter all the time. They used to update us with, okay, these are the current numbers that are happening. Um, news platforms, news publications, like that is a major thing for people and our government to address us, uh, especially a, a demographic that is on Twitter and on the internet, where are they addressing us? What are we being updated about as, as, even the COVID-19 pandemic? Where are we being addressed? And I think it's such a shame that that is even being compromised because of the Twitter ban. And the, the way that information is spreading now is at a much slower pace and is a lot more difficult to find. And I think that that's very, very problematic. How do you see the situation with the Twitter ban developing? Do you think that if it keeps being forbidden that people will just move to a different platform or do a lot of people use VPNs to actually still be able to access it? What's your thoughts on this? Honestly, I, I actually do not know if I'm being very, very frank because I didn't even think that they would go ahead and ban Twitter. So I think I'm still in a state of shock um, that this actually happened. And I'm reminded every time I want to go on Twitter and have to use a VPN and then come back off and then turn off my VPN and all that sort of thing. But then I think that I just don't know what's going to happen, if I'm being honest. And I think that, I mean, now that we're hearing some rumors about, you know, they're trying to bring Twitter back, I don't want to hold my breath, but I would be very happy to see that happen. I think that Nigerians, as resilient as we are, as we fight everything, there's just a, there's a there's a general exhaustion that comes when it comes to just even believing in your government and thinking that they are going to act in the citizens and in 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 Nigerian citizens' best interest. So I don't think anyone is really holding their breath too much. And personally, I'm not. Um, I'm just waiting and seeing how things unfold day by day. Really. And in relation to that, do you think, um, I mean, I can kind of tell by your previous answers, but do you believe that the Nigerian youth is adequately represented in politics in Nigeria? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> no, no, we are not. And I think that there's a fantastic article about this actually on the Republic. Um, and that's also another publication in Nigeria that is run by young Nigerians and they're doing a fantastic job and they literally broke down what it means and what it takes to actually get involved in politics and there are so many barriers that I didn't even think of or I didn't even know of there's funding there's um 
they have like only two major parties to start with to start off with and then trying to even challenge these two major parties there's a whole lot of things that you need to do there's even just like the idea of the the, the dominance that these two parties have had in our country and how people are just not even really I guess looking for other things I think that another major thing is that these two major um parties in our country have such a stronghold in different states so the work that is needed to really overturn and push for more youth representation is so so long but i and and it is a long journey ahead and it's very complicated and it's very difficult it's not as easy as just registering a new party and having like someone young you know go around like i, I don't think they just could get very far with that even i think what was also important that the article that i read really drove home with is that like Yes, government elections are important and yes, presidential are also important, but even our local government elections and and level two, there's so much work to be done in the National Assembly too. There's so much to be done. So it's like the whole thing is very complicated and it can get very overwhelming um, to really think about it. So I, I don't even think that there's a shortage of um young political aspirants i think that the process is difficult and it's not very straightforward and i think it's really it, it works against young nigerians and it will work doubly against you if you're a young nigerian woman so yeah i think it's it's very complicated and it's actually very exhausting when i think about it that's very interesting to hear and um as i said many times before I mean, although you're not directly involved in politics, I still think female media ownership, you know, as it also contributes to society in general, and that then also influences people's mindsets and also mm-hmm. their thoughts on politics. Um, that is something so relevant. And um, yeah, I just really think individuals like you are definitely so important to shape the future of a country and to actually yes. um, foster change. But yeah, I mean, we are slowly coming to an end, unfortunately. So before we actually end the podcast, I just wanted to ask you, do you currently have any books to recommend to our audience? Yes, I do. I'm an avid book reader. I love, love, love reading books. Um, And the book that I just finished reading was Butter Honey Pig Bread by Francesca Ikuyasi. And I cannot talk enough. I I literally talk to everyone about this book. I'm like, have you read What's a Honey Pig Bread? Have you read this book? Have you read this book? Have you read this book? And I think that it's such an amazing book that talks about all these different themes. It talks about sisterhood. It talks about your relationship with your parents. It talks about food. Food is such a key role in this book. And it's written by... Um, I think she's Nigerian, a Nigerian author, but the character and the story is Nigerian based. And I love, and it spans different continents. So, you know, as something in Canada, sometimes they're actually in the UK, they're, they're just in these different countries and just watching their relationship with food and how that also affects um, their relationship as well as sisters and mothers and family and culture, especially Nigerian culture is really, really refreshing to me. And I don't want to give too much away, but that book is definitely something that you're going to keep turning the page. And you're not going to want to put it down. So that's one of my top, top, top recommendations at the moment. I just finished reading it. 
Thank you very much. I think I'll definitely have a look at that book and hopefully read it. And yeah, as my last question, do you have a piece of advice you would like to give young girls growing up um, the world we live in today? Do you have any single piece of advice that you want to give to our audience? I think that the one thing that I would say is like women should continue to be curious. Like that is one thing that I always, always say is that it's so important to be curious and it's so important to ask questions. I'm not a firm believer in accepting things just because that's the way things are. I think that's lazy. And I think that you wouldn't get very far if you just accept things because that's just the way things are. I think there's so much merit in asking questions and challenging things that you've grown up with and asking, where did these thoughts come from? Why do I feel like this about myself? What do I need to unlearn? What do I need to learn currently? And I think that when you approach life in that sort of way that it's not going to suddenly undo all the different injustices that we face. But I think that the the moment that you start being curious, it then gives you the ammunition and it empowers you to seek more knowledge. And when you get more knowledge, you then have a responsibility to do something about what you know. Um, And I think that when you know more, you're able to make more informed decisions, which is why media is so important, which is why art is so important, so important because you are informing and I think of it as sort of like a public service that you're giving community members and individuals different avenues and different plots to ask questions and to rethink why they think this way and to sort of spark questions within people and I think that there's nothing more amazing than asking questions and I just want to advise young women even women my age older than me myself even to continue asking questions and to continue seeking out answers. Yeah, as a student of political science, I totally <laughs> agree with um, your advice. And I think that's great because that's basically what I've learned in my studies. And I think it also like made me grow so much as a person and totally agree that you should never ask um, and never stop asking questions. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Tamilade, for um, having been on our podcast. I really enjoyed interviewing you and I truly believe your opinions are so important. And also thank you to our audience for listening as always. And I hope you enjoyed this episode.